You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. Welcome to episode number 40 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website, StarWarsReport.com. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page, Facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I am one of your hosts, Nathan P. Butler. With me, as always, my Star Wars companion and the defender of the EU, Mr. Mark Herleman. Hey, Mark. Hey, Nathan. Beyonders, droids of all sizes, shapes, and numerical numbers. Yeah, Whistler, yes, I'm thinking of you. I always think of you at the opening of the show, and then Wait, I forget you quickly. D- doesn't that particular, just just c- c- random ADD moment or whatever, <laughs> uh, doesn't that particular whistle from an astromech remind you of the old read-along books all the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's the one where he's like, good work, R2. And then it had that one over and over again. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then he gets that, that, when you hear R2-D2 beep, like this. And... Yeah, I, I just lo- I just love those old the the read-alongs. They were my way of experiencing the films. You know, back before we even had them taped from HBO on VHS when I was little. We had Empire and Jedi. We didn't catch A New Hope. So until I bought the box set, I had no way of watching it. So I just went through that book, that read-along, over and over. Nice. Well, audio is the best way to find out so many different things when it comes to like how to say names. I mean. Who knew it was Corin Horn all this time? I always called him Coran. I'm still going to do it. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say that because I would, there, one of the people who has been attached to some of the Star Wars comics is a person whose name, uh, I think it's Jan, but the uh, the last name is S-T-R-N-A-D. I had no idea how to say that. And then on the news tonight, somebody said a last name that I think is that same one, Sternad. That sounds like it's got an I in it that's not really there. So I was like, yes, I'll know how to say it for the show. Like, it's about time someone finally said that name! <laughs> Precisely. Quite the ADD here. But if we're talking about uh, compulsive behavior, I think that we might have found a topic this time around that is going to feed into the compulsions of many Star Wars readers out there. So, Mark, what are we talking about this time? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. The ones like, how tough is a Bantha's hide? Questions that you have bothered by for a long, long time? Or simple ones that happen in a galaxy far, far away. You've perplexed about Star Wars off and on, so do we. This episode, we take a break from our X-Wing coverage to take a look at the newest essential guide, Pablo Hidalgo's The Essential Reader's Companion. A beast of a book, I'm here to tell you. Consider this your spoiler warning, because here we go. All right. Well, let's kind of introduce, I guess, the context in which this thing has been made. Uh, First of all, we know that there has been this Essential Guide series for many a year now. Now, the original Essential Guide series that was released, you can sort of tell which ones they are. They're the ones with that sort of box that has the title in it. They're not really quite as flashy on the inside. It consisted of seven books. We had the Essential Guide to Characters, to Vehicles and Vessels, to Weapons and Technology, to Planets and Moons, to Droids, uh, the Essential Chronology, and then the Essential Guide to Alien Species. Then they All did... great novels. Well, illustrated books. Good, but... In my opinion, not quite as good as that second round of them because the artwork... I I mean, good for that time. (laughs) Yeah, good for the era. Uh, The Essential Chronology was a great resource. Uh, The Essential Guide to Characters had some 
incorrect stuff in it. Um, I really like the sketch style art that they had for the essential guys to vehicles and vessels and yeah, weapons. Yeah, ships was my favorites. But uh, they ran around uh, kind of gathering up new information as we headed towards Episode 2, and they launched a new run of Essential Guides. But essentially all that it was huh, – see see what I did there? Essentially. All that it was was <laughs> the same ones except for the Essential Guide to Planet and Moons taken and just taken up a notch in terms of the paper quality, visual quality, and the information. It was just updates of the six that they already had. Now we have this sort of third generation, and so far it's been really, really good. It took the Jedi versus Sith type stuff, uh, all the Force stuff, and gave it its own essential guide, Jedi versus Sith, the essential guide to the Force. We got the essential Atlas, which is essentially the bulked up, super steroided, um, what's his name, Dirge, when he becomes the weird, tutti fruity Twizzler monster, gigantic <laughs> um, version of the essential guide to planets and moons. And then we got the Essential Guide to Warfare. Now, in oh, I'm never going to eat a Tutti Frutti the same. This tastes like dirge. See, I don't, I don't eat those. Um, although, you know, Starburst look close enough. At this point, we have always seen stuff, for the most part, in the Essential Guides written in-universe. And instead, this time what we get is the Essential Reader's Companion, which is written for us, for the uh, real universe readers of the Star Wars universe. But it's not the first time that such a thing has been attempted. There was one for comics that didn't get nearly the level of exposure as the Essential Reader's Companion. It was called the Comics Companion, and it was written by Ryder Windham and Daniel Wallace with a very similar format. What you'll find Love in that one, too. That's a great one as well. Got some great illustrations. I'm, I'm a fan of the illustrations. What you'll find in both of these is you will find a quick listing of the title. You'll get a rundown of things like cover artists and such. You'll get the writer's name, of course. You'll get a timeline date or at least an approximate timeline date, a story summary, and then when applicable, you'll get essentially sort of continuity notes or things of note, kind of addendums where there's commentary from the person writing the book about it. Like this is the first time, for instance, say in the Comics Companion, this was the first time that Jan Dersima and John Ostrander teamed up. In the Reader's Companion stuff like the reason why this is dated here is such and such. This was the first time that this book was written with this character, even though they chronologically appeared earlier. That sort of thing. So what we have is a guide for the real world in the vein of the Comics Companion, but beefed up considerably from that approach that is now the first of its kind as an out-of-universe book in the Essential Guide series. And it's a heck of a read. Indeed, it, it, one of the first things I thought of was, was the Essential Comics one. And how, they, well, it's not an essential one, but they could make it now. And you could do it in the same kind of guise. It's a beast. I mean, right away, the first thing, when I, when I first was hearing about the size of this thing, I was thinking we were going to see a cover price around $50, $60. I wouldn't have been too surprised to see a whopper of $75. It would have been a little far-fetched, but, I, you know, we see a lot of things out there lately, like Book of Sith and Jedi Path that, are, that have a higher price tag, you know? But this one goes in at $29.95, and I think that's just such a great deal for the plethora of information you have here. Uh, you know, you could sit down and read it from cover to cover, but I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm enjoying just kind of flipping through and finding different things. There's just so much stuff in here. Now, see, what I did was I sort of read it cover to cover. Uh, for what it's worth, we got these as uh, – I mean, usually I think you're expected to mention this as, as a way of sort of uh, full disclosure. We each got a copy of this from Del Rey as one of these uh, advanced reader review copies. And these particular books, they're not, I mean, they could be read straight through if you've never read the stories before or you just really want to see summaries of stuff you've already read. What I tended to do 
was I read through, straight through, the entire book, getting the introduction, the little sidebars about the short stories and whatnot that aren't regular entries like they are for the regular books, but going through in the process, reading the introduction to each section, the approach taken to each section, and when a book had a little sidebar comment or a commentary after its summary, I went through and read those. I also, during the process of doing so, was checking out the dates and tweaking dates on my Star Wars Timeline Gold as I went along to make sure that I was in line with it. But this book in and of itself, even if you just read those commentary things, it is a wealth of very interesting new information. And it's interesting to see, from my perspective, what Lucasfilm's approach is to a lot of these things, particularly the fact that we now have the first steps towards resolving the Clone Wars. We have the the order that was in the visual or the uh, visual guide that was expanded recently by Ryder Wyndham. We have these blogs that Leland Chi is doing over at the Star Wars blog on StarWars.com, and now we have this that's taking a okay. Well, that was mostly about the Clone Wars cartoon. Let's see if there's any way we can sort of drop hints as to how we might be able to place all of these many different Star Wars books into some chronological order in relation to the Clone Wars. What I find most interesting about that part, you know, just one of the interesting things you'll learn from this book, uh, they're apparently taking the Wild Space dates at face value, which basically give you a month between Attack of the Clones and when Anakin gets knighted for all that other stuff to take place, and yet not taking at face value the fact that Wild Space uh, assumes that things like the, uh, was it Downfall of a Droid and Duel of the Droid came before the Malevolence arc in production order when they aired and are chronologically now considered in a different order. It is, it's a bold book in that it's trying to give us a glimpse behind the scenes, but there are some things that it's giving hints on that I did not expect them to. Uh, of course, I also didn't expect the book to spoil Annihilation and <laughs> Scoundrels and Heist, I think that was even the first time we ever heard the name of the short story heist that goes with Scoundrels for Insider. Well, there was also the uh, one for the recent Insider that has uh, Arduros, Bounty Hunter Cad Bane. That's true. I mean, that that's at least out, though, at this point. I don't know if it's out on yeah. newsstands. It's out for subscribers. Yeah, it is on newsstands. I got mine the other day, uh, the same day this came in the mail, which was my 10-year anniversary, the 26th. So we got a lot of interesting information here, a lot of bits uh, as we go along. And, of course, the, the artwork... By Jeff Carlisle, Joe Caroni, Brian Rood, Chris Scalf, Darren Tan, and Chris Travas, many of whom are particularly familiar to those who have been following the Essential Guides and uh, other Star Wars sort of one-sheet art or, or uh, comic book covers over the year. I don't know, what was your, your biggest impression? What stood out to you? For me, obviously, it's chronological and background information, but what was the thing that was your big draw to this when you got it? Well, I, I mean, you mentioned how bold it is. Bold, Hildago. Almost too bold. And, you know, before I answer your question, in the introduction, he says, and th this is something to me about this book as I read it that really stands out. He says, the novice reader, unsure where to start, may find guidance by browsing through the curated summaries. It also is meant for the intermediate Star Wars reader who has sampled some works but never realized how immense the library is. And for the experts, it's a fresh look at what they may already know and hopefully with some new surprises thrown in, not to mention the new illustrations. For me, the, the the highlight I think was was the illustrations. I I've always enjoyed the the imagery that we get from these different ones, and there have been some beautiful ones in the in the essential lines, uh, especially the the last set. You know when it kind of went all digital computerized. Some didn't look so great, but some did. But the the plethora of information here 
the way that you know you'd be able to grab this kind of like brush up on a book series go into something else i i think that's going to be very handy i know i was doing that with the the uh, comics one uh when i jump into the republic uh clone wars action there with whatever thing was going on i i brushed to that and kind of brush up on the Voss stuff because i didn't want to have to pull them all out i mean you know when you got a comic collection as big as mine and nathan's and it i mine's in the boxes still so i that's a lot of heavy lifting if i need to get to a certain issue and so it's kind of nice to be able to have something where you can go there get a quick summary get an idea where you're going and, and jump right back in and the fact that it covered more up-to-date stuff. I mean, you know, you mentioned Scoundrels and Annihilation kind of as a downside. I think that's kind of cool because it's like these books haven't even came out yet, and yet this is so comprehensive and so up-to-date. I was kind of shocked to see the uh, Insider Celebration uh, information on there as well. I mean, I was just like, wow, even that's on here. Cool. See, I think... I don't know. I, I like the fact that it's that comprehensive. It's able to look ahead. It's not a book that by the time you get it, a month later, it's already out of date. Uh, which is what happens with a lot of guidebooks for most franchises. That's why a lot of guidebooks for many franchises sort of fallen by the wayside, and now it's all just wikis and that type of stuff online. But at the same time, I mean, I, I can sort of understand them spoiling Star Wars movies because they want the big marketing push. I mean, if you were around in 1980, I was not, you know, more than a year old when The Empire Strikes Back came out. But if you had been around... About a month before the release of The Empire Strikes Back in 1980, you already knew that Vader was Luke's father because you were able to read the novelization. In 1976, you could have read the story of A New Hope, but those built hype building up towards the movies and only the really, really diehard fans already picked it up. Same type of thing I guess you could say with the diehard fans for the more modern movies, but again, about a month before the movies came out, we got everything already spoiled and thanks to the internet, it is everywhere. With a movie, at least, you still have that, well, you know, I still want to see the movie because it's a Star Wars movie. Awesome. I'm not sure if you still have that level of awesome where people are going to pick up a Star Wars book that they already know the entire story of, or at least they already know the basic story of, especially when we're talking about brand new hardbacks. How many people now, by getting the essential reader's companion and reading the summary of Annihilation or Scoundrels are going to either skip the books entirely or are going to wind up saying, well, I already know the story. I'm not going to spend the full price hardback or even the discounted Amazon type hardback price. I'm waiting for the paperback because I already know what happens. It seems like an odd decision, which makes me wonder if the release date for this book and the release date for those two books have been shuffled enough that at one time, they were meant to have already just come out before That's, the Raiders that was my Yeah, that, that was what I was thinking, too, was that originally they may have been earlier, and so Pablo was privy to a lot of this stuff. But Chris Carey had mentioned that, that they didn't quite spoil it completely. I mean, I, how much does it spoil? I haven't read them yet because I, like you, I have the advanced reader's copy of both of them, and I'm a slower reader, so I haven't got through them yet. So I, I'm avoiding that section for right now because you had warned me. But, I mean, how bad is it? I mean, is it is it like... The essential chronology, because I love that when I first got the chronology, I was able to look through, you know, I was just getting into the EU. There were a lot of books out there, not as many as there are for someone who's just now getting in, but quite a bit to be daunting. And I got that chronology and I looked through and I got a lot of plot summaries for a lot of books. And yet when I was reading those books, I remember thinking, you know, I know what, what some of this stuff's going to happen and I knew key things. But a lot of the book, I still didn't have a clue what was going to happen, and I still really enjoyed the books. Is it along that line, or is it going to totally just ruin some things for you? Well, 
I've only checked out the ones for Heist and for Annihilation, because I'm right now only about, as of the time we're recording this, the day before the Clone Wars Season 5 premieres, uh, I'm only about 30, 40 pages or so into the uh, review copy of Scoundrels. I have finished Annihilation, and when I looked at the Annihilation summary, the Annihilation summary is relatively vague, only just a couple of paragraphs. I don't think it's going to spoil much along those lines. If anything, it's cool that it's there, because it gives us a date. It gives us an actual date for Annihilation, which gives us a date for the Old Republic video game, in a sense, which also manages to give us a date for when certain events in the game happen, because there's a point when you're playing around the second or third act that things shift and the, the Cold War goes back into a hot war. It gets back into an active conflict. Um, so that we sort of have some information on. I like that aspect of it, and no, it doesn't spoil everything. Though if you weren't sure who was going to appear in it, major characters are listed ah. as far as that goes. But if, you know, if that is a spoiler to you, that's okay. At least at this point, um, they don't tell you the big uh, Vader-esque, no, I am your father level of spoiler for the thing, just from, a, from the standpoint of the impact on the characters and whatnot. For Scoundrels, ah. I have completely avoided it, because like I said, I'm still reading it. For yeah. Heist... I don't know how much there's going to be to the story. And it's a Timothy Zahn short story in Insider. Last one we got of those was Buyer's Market. Yeah. Uh, it, anyone want to know how they got the ad at that's under Naklon, or at least one of them? No, not really. Go um, it if you do. <laughs> the, uh, uh, given how much time they give to the other short stories, and given how much they summarize in the sto short stories that tend to be just a few pages, it doesn't give you every bit of detail, but there's not much to spoil, so by spoiling anything, it kind of spoils the whole thing. I would assume that's the same way it is with Heist. I feel like having read the Heist summary, I pretty much know what's going to happen in the short story. I don't think that there's much that I'm going to be missing. But, of course, that one isn't out yet. So I guess your, your mileage will vary, although I believe the Scoundrels summary is significantly longer, if I remember correctly, than the one for Annihilation, though that is something I can certainly uh, check as we go along here uh, at with the episode. Well, you know, another thing I found interesting was what they did and did not cover. Uh, the fact that the Galaxy of Fear books made it into there, it surprised me because the choice is one finds itself now in the middle of that series, and that's not how I have it on my bookshelf. But in the introduction, they talk about reading order, and I found it was kind of an interesting little thing. It says, uh, the companion presents Star Wars fiction in a recommended reading order that follows a chrono chronological flow within the expanded universe. However, the order presented prioritizes reading experience over rigid adherence to chronology. For example, and this example is the one I have always used for the longest time, and I think it makes the most sense, uh, and if you've ever read these books and you read this, I think you will you will know exactly why. But for example, the Jedi Academy trilogy and the novel I, Jedi occur at the same time, often covering the same events. A rigid adherence to chronology would recommend reading alternate parts of each work. Instead, the companion recommends reading the Jedi Academy trilogy first. It was the first works published, and I, Jedi, was written with the expectation that it would likely be the second work read. If a book covers large spans of time, it's often where the story ends that determines its chronological placement, not where it begins. And that one especially, like, I've always been that way, because the first half of I, Jedi is all set during that trilogy. And then it jumps forward, and I remember looking at older timelines and stuff, and they placed it right in front, and I'm like... Why are you doing that? Wait, that spoils the whole trilogy. You know, you'd just be like, why would you do that? But they add things like that here in the intro, and, and I like that. Another thing I'm going to say visually 
You know, I, I'm I'm worried about the binding. I've heard a lot of people talk about these kind of bindings falling out on them. I haven't had that happen, but two of my essentials of, and I have a lot of these essential things. I think I'm only missing two, and I've only got two of them that the bindings have broke. But I, I'm concerned about that. But it's got this really cool old Republic feel to the pages where it's got like this tan on the top and the swoop on the bottom. And they line up and it's aesthetically pleasing on the edge of the binding as well. I really like how that plays off of itself. But the one that – and I'm sure you know it, it wouldn't be an episode of Beyond the Films if we didn't talk about it – is here in the introduction about canon and continuity. And Nathan, do you want to read it or should I? I can, sure. Oh. Uh, it's found on page nine. Um, I do want to, if I, if I may, let me let me step back for just a second and say that I, I am one who, at least on my timeline approach, I do cut up things like I Jedi. So if you're reading the Star Wars timeline Gold, it jumps between the different books. Uh, basically, doing what he says under reading order about a rigid adherence to chronology would recommend reading alternate parts of each work. That is true. Um, he also does under Survivor's Quest very nicely say. A chronological reading of Expanded Universe works means that readers would have read Outbound Flight first, which dispels a number of mysteries present in Survivor's Quest, particularly the nature of Dean Ginsler's history. Uh, it's a nice way of saying Survivor's Quest is utterly pointless if you've already read Chronologically Outbound Flight, because it was just there to set up the mystery of the other book. So there are times in which the reading order makes sense, and other times where you're like, well, you know, sometimes reading them in release order is the best way to go, because otherwise, yeah, there, there are going to be some books that are pointless. Well, and a quick comment on your timeline. There's a reason why we call it a comprehensive timeline. This is true. Uh, all right, for the canon and continuity segment here in the introduction, the author, Pablo Hidalgo, writes, Common questions are, how real are these stories? Do they count? Do they really happen? The most definitive canon of the Star Wars universe is encompassed by the feature films and television productions in which George Lucas is directly involved. The movies and the Clone Wars television series are what he and his hand-picked writers reference when adding cinematic adventures to the Star Wars universe. But Lucas allows for an expanded universe that exists parallel to the one he directly oversees. In many cases, the stewards of the expanded universe, editors within the licensing division of Lucasfilm Limited who work with authors and publishers, will ask for his input or blessing on projects. Though these stories may get his stamp of approval, they don't enter his canon unless they are depicted cinematically in one of his projects. That said, Unless something occurs in a canon project to directly contradict a published source, it can reliably be said to have occurred. Extensive records track the growth of the expanded universe, cataloging planets, characters, technology, and events to allow for a sprawling, believable continuity connecting the published works of the Star Wars universe. It's not perfect. When errors occur, the companion does sometimes call them out. This is not to diminish these tales in any way, but rather to illustrate that the Star Wars expanded universe is a living document that grows and evolves over time. The Reader's Companion is not meant as a replacement for the experience of reading these works firsthand. Those truly interested in the stories are strongly encouraged to read them whole. No matter how detailed, a summary is no substitute for experiencing a story as the author intended. Amen! And may I say, just from for the record as far as that goes, when dealing with the issue of chronology, Pablo is kind enough in the acknowledgments to actually suggest uh, some other resources out there saying that in the acknowledgments uh, he's thanking... To the many Wikipedians, timeliners, and chronologists who have undertaken their own research of this universe, my humble thanks. Special mention to Robert Mullen, Jay Shepard, Nathan Butler, James McFadden, Mike Bidler, and Joe Bongiorno, who have developed some fascinating academic resources for cataloging the history of Star Wars. So he does give the nod to those who have done this type of research outside of it 
who take different approaches that perhaps you know try to deal with those issues and have not had the backing perhaps of Lucasfilm to be able to say here's how we're going to change things and so forth. Uh, I think it's a relatively good layout of what he's getting into. It's essentially kind of like a parallel universe type thing. Lucas doesn't consider it his own, but it exists as a whole with the films in it. Uh, I think it's a very nice and well-described definition of continuity in Star Wars. I have to agree. Um, you know, for a long time, I've been enjoying the fact uh, recently Dave Filoni and Insider mentioned the fact that there were two universes. This here is saying the same thing. Lucas himself, with when you don't look at the canon levels, keep in mind that's a holocron internal tracking system, he talks about the tiers. And this is exactly what Hidalgo's talking about. He's talking about the sun tier, in this case, Lucasfilm. Licensees. Uh, licensees. Yeah, the licensees. He's talking about the licensees. But the thing that I found that was kind of very interesting about this, there's two of them. Uh, one is he talks about how these things still occurred, but he doesn't talk about them being canon, which we've had them in the past talk about, well, this book is canon. Bottom line, nothing is canon unless it's George's movies and those TV series. And that's the other one. He says series, Clone Wars series, not capital, The Clone Wars, not, it's just the with a lowercase and then capital Clone Wars and then series, I-E-S, plural. That was a little shocking to me. I was like, oh, but... That's because I'm one of those. I read into things way too much. But it, it, it's also at the same time, it's one of those things. It's nice to know that the EU can exist on its own and that it's acknowledged at least some level. I mean, it would be nice if the EU would recognize that and not shoehorn everything that it has to into every single new book. But it's nice to know that somewhere, some level in the, in the upper echelons, they recognize what Lucas has said about the tears. I mean, it's a very convoluted thing. We've recently re-put uh, up our, our canon episode on our Facebook page because of the fact that this topic is kind of coming around again. It's one of those things that, you know, it's it's always going to be on people's minds. And I think, what, about every four months it kind of recycles around through some new project or some new publication or some new little blurb that they give us where people are like, ah, oh, canon, what's canon, what's not, is this, is this, is it going to knock something out? You know, it just seems to be the nature of the fandom beast. This is true, and this book, again, the way that he lays it out there, you know, the Reader's Companion does call out continuity things. He does a really good job, for instance, in since this is something that is not an in-universe document that just talks about events, he can talk about the way things have shifted and the way things have been tweaked along the way. Uh, he calls out, for instance, the Even Peel thing, or Even Peel, for those who listen to Republic Forces Radio Network, um, the Evan Peel, Even Peel stuff from the... Coruscant Knights books, for instance, and how now that's not possible because the character had died. Uh, he actually gives us those types of insights. One good example of this from the Clone Wars era, for instance, on page 91, when talking about Jedi Trial. He says, Jedi Trial was originally set 30 months after the Battle of Geonosis, a mere six months before the end of the Clone Wars. The new timeline established by the Clone Wars animated series, that's the Clone Wars TCW with the capital V, the current one, makes it clear that Anakin was knighted near the start of the war. This tale, therefore, must occur within the first four weeks of the conflict. This change fits with Nija Halcyon's relationship with Slake. Halcyon's pre-war pursuit of Slake is more of a fresh memory for the Jedi rather than an event nearly three years past. Much of the setting for Jedi Trial is pieced together from earlier Expanded Universe material. Praise Sitlin, if I'm saying that right, and its communication center were first mentioned in Heir to the Empire in 1991, while Nija Halcyon was first mentioned as part of Koran Horn's backstory from X-Wing Rogue Squadron 1996. Freedom's Sons and Daughters is a very old reference to a glancing mention of Freedom's Sons in Han Solo at Star's End 1979. 
I mean, just the sheer level of detail to a comment like that makes me sit back and appreciate the fact that while Pablo Hidalgo hasn't been a as visible in terms of the reference works recently as, say, Dan Wallace, perhaps, or Jason Fry, perhaps, this is a guy who knows his stuff and is going to make sure that this is a book that, as he says in that introduction, can appeal not just to the introductory level or mid-level readers, but people who have read for a long time and appreciate that level of, aha, this is the backstory. Hey, I didn't perhaps realize how well that now fits with Nija Halcyon's other background and such. I think that is a well-played thing. Another thing, a couple things I can tend to appreciate about the book that I want to get your thoughts on. One is the fact that, like you can find, say, on Wikipedia, for instance, they do at times go into alternate cover art. When there's significant alternate cover art, they show it. I find it very, very, very amusing that on page 180, when they're talking about the novelization of A New Hope by Alan Dean Foster that was credited under George Lucas as a pen name, essentially, um, it shows 14 different covers for A New Hope. You've got the original paperback all the way up through the uh, last time they released it in omnibus form and the A New Hope young reader novelization that Ryder Wyndham wrote. Uh, but also, I mentioned earlier the short story summaries, how they kind of have those off to the side. They have other inclusions that really make this stand out to me as well. For context, they provide information on, say, the comic books, on the video games, even on, say, the Dark Strider RPG campaign. Not a lot of detail, but enough that if you're reading this and you're not familiar with them, you'll have a sense of, oh, that's when that happened. Like the old question of, you know, when did Luke fall to the dark side? Aha, that's Dark Empire. It's called out. They also take the time to go into the short stories. And I mentioned one from Insider, and you can assume, yeah, of course, they'll have the anthologies in there like Tales from the Most Icely Cantina. But they even include many of the short stories from the official Star Wars Adventure Journal from West End Games that was so beloved at the time. We're talking a seriously comprehensive book. He even lists out at the beginning what's not included, stuff like the young readers learning to read type books, but for the most part, uh, these books are in there. The only reason the Jedi Prince series or the Trioculus series isn't in there is because it's an illustrated set of books for kids, not something that's a little bit older like, say, Galaxy of Fear. I mean, extremely comprehensive, and I can understand why those other things weren't included. You know, you got to cut it somewhere. The thing is already, what, 500 pages almost? A part of me wants to see yeah. it as an essential reader's companion for comics and novels, but I got a feeling that I would have to have my own uh, uh, forklift to get it in the door. What did you think about that's why the comprehensiveness? Well, the comprehensiveness, thats that was something I was going to talk about. But that's why I think they need to make the sequel to the uh, comics one in this vein. Because I could just imagine setting the two next to each other and kind of flipping the pages. You know, you could kind of set them above each other or, or right by each other, and I think they'd play off well. But you've got, like, Star Wars Galaxy magazines. I don't have those. Uh, some of the journals, I only have a couple of them. A lot of these things that I, I, I'm missing one here or there. Uh, Galaxy of Fear, you know, you, you just mentioned that one again. I have all but two of that. So, you know, to get more of these summaries and stuff is is epic. And and aren't those cuss-worthy moments when you realize there's something you don't have? Oh, absolutely. Oh. I mean, I was literally, I'm just in the process of moving all this stuff. And when we did the Rogue Squadron, when I realized that my, my copy of the Kratos Trap is missing, as I called my father out, because I'm pretty sure he stole it. But just finding that out has had me on edge because everywhere I call, they're like, oh, it's out of stock. And I can find it online, but ordering things online is, is always harder Wait. for me than it needs to be. Can I do something nice on air? Ooh, what's that? I just replaced my X-Wing set of the first four books with signed copies. So I've got a copy of Kratos Trap that I can mail to you. <laughs> Ooh, yay, awesome, nice. 
Okay, and back to what you were saying before I railroad us on, on how awesome that is. Uh, you know, speaking of the Galaxy of Fear, one of my favorite ones was clones. And we have a clone of Darth Vader. And at the end, as you were saying about those little tidbits, it says one of the toughest stories to reconcile with ongoing continuity clones introduces an extremely advanced form of cloning that outpaces all others depicted elsewhere. The ruins of Dantooine are shown in, in, in active use in the Tales of the Jedi and Knights of the Old Republic comics. But there's no indication of any cloning technology in use during that era. Vader captures the cloning tech for the Emperor by the end of clones, but it never surfaces again. Also unanswered is why a clone of Vader would resemble a man who is mostly artificial. And those those were things that I was curious if they ever had talked about or, or did. And, and boom, there's my answer. You know, years of pondering that, now a solution. Clone Anakin. Okay, now hack him up and burn him. Well, yeah, we got to make him close to what Vader yeah, would be. That was what I, because, yeah, it was literally, he was in the suit. He was, I mean, it was like, and they played it off that it was taken from a drop of Anakin's blood. It's like, well, why would you clone him in the suit? Wait, that don't make any sense. Man, you cloned Luke from his severed hand. Uh, yeah, you added a vowel, but did you have to keep him with that 80s hair? Uh now, one thing that jumped out at me uh, also with this particular book, I mean, I, we're trying to get as many thoughts in here about this as we can within the, the span of the episode because it's such a, a really great resource here. Uh, I like the fact that he also clarifies some things that it seemed like at times the authors were not clear on. You may recall when we were talking about the end of Fate of the Jedi. Here's a spoiler warning, uh, though not a giant one, I guess, for uh, the last few chapters of Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse. When we were talking about the end of the series, we mentioned how at the end, there's this point where Luke is battling against Abeloth beyond shadows and sort of that netherworld or that otherworld, dreamland, whatever of the Force. And he is guided, or he's not guided, he is helped by another individual, this man who was known as the Dark Man, the man that had been seen in the visions in other Troy Denning books, mostly uh, by Jason and such that helped send him on that path, the man with the tattooed face, blah, blah, blah. Um, at one, pretty much everybody who looked at that who had read Legacy, had that me, moment me, of, me, wait me. a second, is, is that Darth Crate? But when Troy Denning yeah. was asked flat out, he said, no, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, he even made it sound as though he didn't know who it yeah. is supposed oh, to be. Yeah, that drove me nuts. What do you mean you don't know? You wrote it! Well, on page 467, they lay it out, last paragraph in the comments to go with Apocalypse, though he is never named. The stranger who helps Luke defeat Abeloth is Darth Crate, the hidden founder of the One Sith movement that would rule the galaxy in the Star Wars Legacy comics. I would think that the biggest problem people would have reading this book would be the fact that it's referring to these other stories like the comics, and you're going to be going, I want to know about them too. Um, that's why I'm really hoping that, as you mentioned there, that they do a new volume of the comics companion in this particular vein, or even in the same vein as the original. The original wasn't bad, it just didn't have as much commentary as, say, this book does. But give us an updated comic companion. The last comic companion was in... Let me see, I, I'm, I'm picking it up because it's sitting here on my desk. The last Comic Companion's first edition was released in February 2006, or at least dated February 2006. It has been uh, uh, six years since we've seen a new Comics Companion. How about a new one of those? We can get a new year by year that adds like two pages or whatever to it. How about a new Comics Companion? Yeah. You know, and one of my favorite illustrations in here, it's on page 422. It is right before Thraken Sal Solo dies. I have been begging for an after scene where Thraken's on the ground with the hole in his head still smoking with the three of them standing over him in their Mandalorian. This is as close as I will ever get. Oh, 
bless your heart for it. I love it. It's so great. But, you know, you just mentioned with, with uh, Crate here, another one like that, one that, that I didn't, Chris uh, Carey pointed out to me, because, like I said, I've been flipping through this. I haven't gone chronological, so I haven't got that deep in it yet. But it was Invincible, and it talked about a possible ending that they were going to have for it. Uh, in which it was, uh, the outline describes Jason's continued flow walking to the time of Anakin Solo's final mission in Star by Star, 2001, for the purposes of corrupting Tyri to be his underling. In this final fight with Jaina, he conjures the image of a mortally stricken Anakin to vex Jaina and erode her focus. But in his reaching into the past, Jason makes contact with Anakin, and the two switch places. In this manner, the timeline of past events is not altered a body that perfectly resembles anakin falls at benu ross mission but it is in fact a disguised jason from the future the dying anakin is transported to the future of 41 aby where he is saved by jaina and resuscitated this ending was not explored beyond being suggested in the novel outline but it was one that immediately I don't know. I, I could see half of, of Anakin Solo fans everywhere going, do it! Why didn't you do it? And it's definitely, just hearing that, I never really thought that they would even consider that. And the fact that they did kind of shocked me. Weird. Very, very weird. That was one of those that had me going, they really thought about going that way? But, I mean, they've got a lot of moments like that. You know, when they're given the background of the original story concepts to go through to create say, uh, the new Jedi Order and such. I mean, there are moments where you kind of sit back and go, wow, you know, it's interesting the directions they could have gone. And in some cases, it's interesting where Lucas stepped in and kind of nudged them in a different direction than they otherwise would have gone. You mentioned the artwork, some specific instances of artwork. Uh, it, what I think is kind of cool also, I mean, I've, I've been sort of uh, blessed in the sense here, and I do mean, you know, blessed. I'm religious. I just don't talk about it. Um, in the sense that uh, I've had a chance to have my name pop up in some Star Wars books, like like this one with the acknowledgments and such, but there's something else cool that I'm seeing happening with some other Star Wars fans. There is a, a Star Wars fan costumer out there, really, really good costumer, goes online kind of as her, her handle as Scruffy Rebel, and she has managed uh, to, aside from creating some great costumes herself, she actually has been the photo reference repeatedly for, among others, Jaina Solo. And there are two instances in here where she is immortalized as Jaina Solo in scenes that are really the, the epitome of who Jaina is now. One is by Chris Travas, I believe, where it's Jaina uh, kind of on her tiptoes kissing Jag. Oh, that is and a then, good image. And then there's the image by Joe Caroni where, and I, was, I, was, I thought it was Joe Caroni, I checked with her to make sure, but it was Joe Caroni, where it's basically her versus Jason right there at the end of Invincible. And I think it's cool that not only are we seeing fan groups like the 501st being brought in, we're seeing you know different fans from time to time being able to do something in an officialdom type of way or at least help out on a project and such, but we're also seeing fans, actual fans, not people who are models or something who happen to also be fans, but fans being immortalized visually as some of these characters. I would love to see a list of the visual references used within the book, especially for things like the section beginning portraits of different characters. Um, and for that matter, heck, I'd love for somebody to go back and give a, a, all the visual references that were used for Star Wars Union, because that seemed like, you know, Bruce Willis was Cam Soldisar, yeah. I think it was. Um, I mean, there's just so many great ways, it seems like, that, that some of these Star Wars writers now 
I don't want to say all, but I don't think it's because the other ones don't want to so much as the other ones just aren't in a position to yet. But so many Star Wars longtime writers are having a tendency to give more of those nods to fandom. I think that there was a point at which, especially with the Clone Wars cartoon series when it first came out, the way that some people felt about, say, The Phantom Menace, there have been times where fans have sort of felt like Lucasfilm and some of the people behind the scenes are somewhat against fandom. Like, it's more like they like fandom's support, but at times they sort of tolerate some of the more active, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, vociferous our, fans. Our, our reactions. <laughs> yes, that, that those of us who speak out sometimes are like, are you kidding? Uh, and it's that, just make-believe. Go, go back into your closet. Well, the idea that, you know, deep down, they're all, that, you know, there's sometimes you feel like deep down they're, there are many of them thinking Talifan, or deep down, you're, it's going back to the uh, SNL uh, Shatner thing, you know, you know, get a grip, will you people, please, or, or get a life, or whatever it is they said. Um, it's nice to see these folks really sort of feeling like they're, at times, writing these little teeny tiny hidden love letters out to the fans. It's very good to see that whatever animosity there was, whatever friction there has been at times, the last wave of it seems mostly to have passed at this point, which is a great thing to see because that's one of the things that's always rankled me about Star Wars is that it's such a tightly knit community. It's a thing that we all enjoy, we love. It's just, you know, it's a good part of our lives right up until that point where something happens and for a while it's like it's clouded. It's not a bad thing. It's like your favorite, you know, your great brand new car got driven through the mud, or down here in Georgia, you woke up and it was covered in freaking yellow pollen all over the place. Um, it's just not quite what it was. You clean that sucker off, everything's back to good. I, it's, I like that about where we are in fandom right now. Yeah, and the great thing about this, too, is that going back to the images, there are things that are exciting. You know, you, you watch certain scenes that you've enjoyed come to life, like on page 409, where we see Jason and Jaina and we see Luke and they're all standing in the warlord Shamira's uh, room. They're about to be confronted with him and stuff. And then there's also another little tidbit here in that little extra stuff where they talk about uh, the outline that would have originally happened and how Omni would have been destroyed by Anakin Solo from the outline. And they write, forged by Luke, by his dark side mentor, by his very ancestry as the grandson of Darth Vader, Anakin is the sword of righteousness. The Sword of Righteousness. That, I found that immediately when I just saw that, like just four seconds ago, you know, talking about that was interesting concept. I mean, could you just imagine if they'd have played with that where Jaina was the Sword of the Jedi and he was the Sword of Righteousness? It's like, wait, wait, two swords? What? Double-bladed, bring back another clone of Starkiller to give us Force Unleashed 3. Uh, I will say, there are times where... The comments, I, I'm not going to say that every single set of commentary is one that left me excited. I mean, I liked them all, but there are times where I was like, dang it, I wish you would have mentioned something. For instance, there's great artwork in here of Darth Vader having his sort of bad acid trip when he uses the Boda in the third Coruscant Knights book, the stuff that supposedly yeah. was in the, was inside I-5 for decades when really it was just because the author screwed up the dates and it's really only been there for months. Uh, so it couldn't probably have gotten to that point yet. Um, and Vader has that bad trip and he's got the lightning all around him and everything. There's a great shot of that on page 150. But the commentary for the whole Coruscant Knights series makes no mention whatsoever of the chronological cluster bleep 
that that series was. Not a single mention whatsoever, and that bugged me a little. On the other hand, getting bugged by something like that is very quickly dispelled by something like, on that very next page, 151, with the Guns of Kelrodo Eye. This is a short story from Insider number 132, back in April of this year. Okay? Uh, it's, it's a quick little story. You might remember it, you might not. It was a cool little pilot story about someone who essentially becomes a hero during Imperial times. It was a character that was then picked up again and used quite a bit within the Essential Guide to Warfare. And I'm thinking, this is a character created by Jason Fry for a short story and using the Guide to Warfare, or maybe created for the Guide to Warfare using the short story. No! Pablo Hidalgo points out, Shia Hublin, that's the character's name, first appeared briefly in the 1979 newspaper strip Princess Leia, Imperial Servant by Russ Manning. In it, he is an older, distinguished gentleman decorated with military campaign ribbons and known as the Rebel Destroyer. Who remembers that? I know it's the timeline guy saying this, but who remembers that? <laughs> um, that, I mean, that type of thing, that type of little quick, fun detail is what makes this, again, accessible to all readers. Uh, if it sounds like we are mostly gushing about the book, uh, I think in this case it's because we are. I mean, the, the complaints that I have about this book are minimal at best. This book in and of itself is one of the best Star Wars guides to come along in ages. If we didn't already have such amazing guides like the Guide to Warfare and the Essential Atlas, I would say this is the best Essential Guide we've ever seen. At, at the yeah, moment, I don't I have say, the military one yet, so I can't comment on that. And I flipped through it, and it looks glorious, but... Uh. Yeah, I, I would say that this is on par with the Guide to Warfare. The only thing surpassing it is the Essential Atlas. And that's just, the, the Atlas is such a dense amount of material, much of which is new material, uh, to tie things together that it still surpasses this. But almost nothing else we've seen does. Honestly, if I were going to be asked, hey, for the same price, would you rather have somebody pick up the Star Wars Encyclopedia, that three-volume one, or this? I'd say get this. Because this yeah. in and of itself, I think, is going to be more useful to you as a reader. I don't know many readers who are going to read and, as they read, flip through the encyclopedia. I do know a lot of people who would read and use this as a guide going through their reading. I started out that way with the old encyclopedia, the hardcover one that had Luke and Vader's uh, lightsaber colors matched. They're backwards on it. <laughs> yeah, from the old movie poster, from the old uh, Revenge of the Jedi movie poster thing. Yeah, but now, from the essential guide standpoint, I have enjoyed those collections. The only downside I've had, I think this is why I'm gushing about this right now, it's going to take a while for the issue I have with the older ones to happen to this. And that is little changes, minute as they be, that come along and alter things that knock things out of it. Uh, you know, in this one, I'm going to use the classic example of the droids with, with the R2 unit, and we have that whole little cluster bomb of R8. That's the only downside to these is that when the information in them becomes irrelevant, for the most part, they stay relevant. There are very few things in them get knocked around. This one, I don't see anything getting knocked around with it. It, it, it. Like you said, it's so out of universe and so just this throws it all in your lap, telling you how it is. I mean, granted, like with with uh, with the one with Jack Spavon, and, and it didn't mention that one. There, I, I didn't even catch a slip like that. There's so much stuff here that. It'd be hard to point out what they would have missed unless you were someone like Nathan P. Butler who pays attention to those kind of things. See, that's the nicest way anybody says anal retentive ever. Uh, <laughs> all right, now, as we near the end here, I do have sort of a special quick announcement that I'm going to make regarding a contest. So since we'll need a couple minutes for that, let's go ahead and get some final thoughts in. I think mine can be summed up in two words. Buy it. Uh, 
that's about it. It it is a must-buy book for Star Wars fans, and it's almost never that I can say that a book is literally a must-buy for any Star Wars fan, not just you know the heavy, heavy EU folks. This one, absolutely buy it. It's so elegantly put. What else can I say but add two words of my own? Enjoy it. I'm enjoying it, so I think you would too. Amen to that. All right, folks, this book, for what it's worth, was released yesterday as of the time you're hearing this episode. So it's out there. You can get it for 30 bucks, approximately retail price. But, of course, check places like Amazon. You'll find discounts on this particular tome around uh, the 2025 range for the most part. The thing I wanted to mention is we have a contest going. I was lucky enough that a friend of mine wound up picking up a copy of the 2012 Del Rey Star Wars Sampler for me. Uh, Arnie Carvalho was able to pick one up at one of the conventions he was at. This is something that was an exclusive to San Diego Comic Con, Star Wars Celebration 6, and New York Comic Con. Essentially what this is, is a book that has in it an excerpt from Darth Plagueis, then First Blood from Insider 125, an excerpt from Apocalypse, then Buyer's Market <laughs> from Insider 126, it's got an excerpt from Scourge, then And Lebo Makes Three from Insider 128, an excerpt from Lost Tribe of the Sith, The Collected Stories, A Fair Trade by Paul S. Kemp from Insider 129, an excerpt from Mercy Kill, Vader Adrift, which is from the Star Wars Insider Special Edition for 2011 that you would not be able to get through a regular subscription to the magazine, then excerpts from Annihilation and Scoundrels, which of course are coming soon. Um, cool thing in that it is the first place so far that any of these new insider short stories are being collected, albeit not necessarily all of them. Uh, it is quite a few of them, basically all the ones in recent memory aside from maybe the last couple. No and, Darth Malgus! Ah, I want a Darth Malgus! Ah! That, that is true, the Malgus one's not there. Uh, but in this particular sampler, you'll find uh, kind of some cool stuff, some cool collected stuff for those who've been really wanting an anthology for a while. Uh, this is about the closest that we're getting at the moment as far as any of those insider stories being collected. And it just so happened that along the way, I wound up getting another copy of this. And that means that now I'm sitting with one extra. So my thought was, uh, if friends have been kind enough to have a chance to get these for me, why not uh, pay it forward? Why not share the love in this sense? So one of these copies, the uh, extra copy, is one that I want to give away here through the show. It's a small paperback, about 75 pages. It includes all those things that I mentioned there, and it is an exclusive, apparently, to three conventions that are now over. So if you would like to enter a contest to win a copy, that copy, of the Star Wars 2012 Del Rey convention-exclusive sampler, here's what you need to do. Email us at swbeyondfilms, all run together, at starwarsfanworks.com. Have the subject line be contest, and inside the body, tell me your name and mailing address in case you win this particular prize. Uh, we'll keep this one open all the way up until the 15th anniversary of the Star Wars timeline goal, which is going to be October 17th. On October 18th, I'll take all the emails gotten before then, and I will go through and randomly draw one winner who will receive this copy. You can only enter this time through email, so we can keep it to one entry per person, but go ahead, shoot off those emails. You've got about two weeks to do so, two weeks actually from the release date of this episode. Good luck to you, and to whoever wins it, I hope you enjoy the sampler. You're right, I think they will. 
You know, I got to admit, though, the fact that the Darth Malgus one wasn't in, in there just drove me up a wall because that's the one insider that slipped through my fingers between re-upping and renewing subscriptions and all that fun jazz. And I just have a hard time paying $10 for a magazine. You know, I could get the old one, but I was really hoping it was going to be in there. Alas. Yeah, but at least it now gets you another way to have first blood to have a full or a relatively full set of, say, Fate of the Jedi. Uh, hopefully at some point they'll take imprint and put it somewhere else. I can't recall if that has been reprinted anywhere off the top of my head, but that was that fan club exclusive story that you could only get through the fan club. I guess hence being exclusive, I was just redundant there. Uh, that's one that so far I haven't seen another way to get. So a full Fate of the Jedi storyline and Lost Tribe of the Sith storyline still needs that imprint. But at least this is another way to get first blood if you happen to have missed Vestara Kai's first kill story when it was in Insider. Most excellent. And that about wraps us up, don't it? Yeah, I think so. What do you think, Whistler? Yeah, Nathan, you better lead us out, man. All right, folks. He's right. The droid's right. We are out of here. So, remember, you can listen to our show airing on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as streaming on the Star Wars Report website, which is StarWarsReport.com. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our page. That is one of the best ways to interact with us on a regular basis. Not only can you post comments to us while you're listening to the show, but you might just be heard on the show because each month we'll release our feedback episodes when we have enough to justify it where we answer your emails and messages. So if you have something to say about an episode, fire it off. You can also email us with the same email address as for the contest to win the sampler at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. So, once again, this has been Nathan Butler and Mark and Whistler. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that you'll be buying this book real soon. Or that you'll give yourself a freaking hernia trying to pick it up. That does sound painful.